0: Coffee, Cows, and Crops is produced by the Peace Country Beef and Forage Association and hosted by Extension Coordinator Johanna Murray. On this podcast, we discuss management practices and research results with scientists, ranchers, researchers, and farmers. We strive to share innovative information and farming practices supported by sound science and practical wisdom. So grab a cup of coffee and let's get learning. everybody thanks for tuning in to today's episode of coffee cows and crops uh today i'm chatting with brenda barrett and derek Leahy from rural roots to climate solutions about the work that they do in alberta and the regenerative ag lab but before we get into all that fun stuff uh we'll start with brenda but i'll get you both to introduce yourself and talk a bit about how you got started with rural roots Thanks. Um, So yeah, I'm Brenda Barrett.
1: I um, farm just east of Lacombe with my husband. We have Earthworks Farm, um, which I guess for ourselves even, we really rooted in what we were learning around regenerative agriculture about 12 years because we had the the fortune of having access to family land and uh, wanted to play around with food security and our own environmental ethics. And I think through us getting married and all those convergence of factors we've had our farm together for just over 10 years Um, and in addition to that I do quite a bit of over the last 10 years different community roles and different roles out in rural Alberta related to community and so at the time when Rural Roots was being founded I was the manager at Stettler Learning Center and there was funding available for building climate literacy through the climate leadership plan at the time and I proposed to some of our board members and other stakeholders around taking a swing at applying for some funding to do something (laughs) in rural Alberta and be driven by rural Alberta, Um, realizing that a lot that happens often in the space still feels like it comes from the urban center, even when they want to reach rural Albertans. So at that time, it was quite, fortunately, we we could apply quite open-ended around who we wanted to impact knowing it could have taken various elements also basically who responded to us and what additional resources we came up with and so over the last years it's kind of evolved from this seed of an initiative or a whim and taking an advantage of an opportunity because the funding was granted um, to really evolving into the organization and the initiative and the various initiatives that it is today.
2: Yeah, uh, so my name is Derek Leahy. I grew up in a small town in southern Ontario called Brooklyn. Uh, I've been out in Alberta for about five years. Uh, Even though I grew up in a small farming community, I was one of those people that lived in town, so I didn't grow up farming. I kind of came into it later on in life. I started to describe myself because I don't really have my... I own land or actual employment on a farm. So, I'll describe myself as like a barely skilled farmhand. There's a bunch of basic things I can't do, like drive a tractor, but I kind of got my head around AMP grazing and stuff like that, that reasonably well, I'd like to think. Um, so, basically, my experience in agriculture currently is uh, just talking to different producers who either let me help them out with their cattle from time to time or let me grow my own veggies there. Uh, so, it's kind of what it is for me right now. Uh, my role at Rural Roots of Climate Solutions. I'm the director of Rural Roots of Climate Solutions. I got involved in the project because uh, I believe it was Dana Penrace from Young Agrarian. She sent me the job posting that the Stettler Learning Center had posted. Dana pretty much just said in the emails, like, you should apply for this. And I was living close to Stettler at the time anyways. I was living in Castor, uh, interviewed, and Brenda's actually the one that hired me for the job.
0: So... To start us off, um, what is Rural Roots to Climate Solutions? Brenda covered it a little bit, um, but what do you do, I guess? What's the purpose of of Rural Roots?
2: Yeah, fair enough. And we we do get that question quite a bit. um, Sometimes people refer to us as like a nebulous organization because we are trying to do so many different things. Sometimes it might not be clear what we're trying to do. Uh, But basically what we're trying to do is empower farmers, ranchers, and the communities that they live in rural Alberta with climate solutions. Uh, Our argument is what's good for the climate is also good for the farm. It can also be good for rural communities. There's a lot of benefits that go along with different climate solutions that are applicable to a a rural context that uh, go beyond reducing greenhouse gas emissions, like something very basic like soil carbon sequestration, Definitely, you want to do that on your farm or ranch. It's going to be great for soil health. It's going to be great for productivity. And obviously, it's going to help out with an issue like climate change. So for our argument, it is, you know, good for the climate, good for the farm. Why not go ahead and do this? So we provide different learning opportunities and capacity building opportunities for producers, as well as other members of the rural community to uh, really, I don't know, acquire the skills, the knowledge, expertise to figure out how to implement these things. It takes different forms with us. Uh, We do webinars. We we did do workshops and field days when COVID wasn't a thing. Really looking forward to getting back into those. Uh, We work with a great writer, Trina Moyles, for our farmer's blog, highlights different success stories around Alberta. Uh, We also do our own podcast and uh, the really unique project. Okay, we have two really unique projects right now. Uh, The Regenerative Agriculture Lab, which Brenda leads, and another project that we're all quite excited about, and I'm probably going to butcher the pronunciation, but I'm going to give it a go. The Six-Sakai Satipi Agriculture Project or the Blackfoot Agriculture Project, uh, where we're engaging uh, members of the Blackfoot Confederacy, primarily those who live on reserve, uh, with climate solutions, but, but doing it in a way that we're sensitive, to, that there's a culture that is quite unique. So how can we talk about agriculture climate solutions in a way that we could also put a Blackfoot lens on it? And sorry, the other project we have is the Solar Lab, which is all about uh, promoting community-owned renewable energy projects in rural Alberta. I think that's <laughs> it. I don't know if I missed something, but uh, Brenda can jump in if I missed a project there.
0: All right. Awesome. So now that we've kind of covered all of the projects you do, let's talk about the biggest, the big one that we're here to talk about, which is our Generator ag lab. So before we get right into that, how does rural roots define regenerative agriculture? There's lots of different opinions on that, it seems.
1: That was actually one of the first things, maybe we rumbled a little bit as the lab um, and looked out there and didn't want to reinvent the wheel or reinvent the definition. And so I don't think our definition would sound very different than, especially, those of a Rodale Institute or a Savory Institute and that kind of thing. We kind of scanned what everybody else was saying and went, here's what it is. I think a big thing is about getting to the principles behind and so that it isn't a prescribed practice or it's not a a single group of, of practices that then you check mark and you're regenerative, but really that it's that idea of farming from a principle base with the outcome in mind related to increased biodiversity, enriching soil, improving watersheds and enhancing ecosystem services overall um, specifically in today's context too that whole aim to capture carbon in the soil um, is obviously a big part of that um, outcome base too and and trying to even get into the measurables of, of knowing are certain practices leading us to that um, while also looking to increase yields or make sure it's profitable for that. This is a philanthropic endeavor on behalf of the producers who are involved. So it is kind of, you know, there's lots of different practices, but really more looking at here's the outcomes that regenerative agriculture is looking for um, both broadly in terms of even that name regenerative. And I think, you know, there's been different people write about regenerative versus sustainable being that You can be sustainable on your farm, even just in terms of reducing your inputs that are coming externally um, and managing your land that way, but also acknowledging perhaps our point in time um, of increased atmospheric carbon that I think most of us would like to see decrease and balance out as well as um, some of the land practices that we've had over the last century in in specifically our part of the world um, have have led to decreased sustainability so not just how do we sustain ourselves in that current state but also how are we regenerating our ecosystems to make them even more abundant and more profitable and more resilient that way so it's not a, a, a neat and tidy one word definition there but i think a big part of that exploration comes into having that aligned set of principles and outcomes so that then also it's fluid enough that the producer can choose the practice that fits on their farm and then how do we keep measuring and, and keep ourselves accountable that we're moving towards those larger I, that makes
0: sense. i i noticed that a lot with regenerative type farmers they're like okay this is what's working on my operation to accomplish the goals i want to accomplish
1: and i think there's that learning element then that comes into that too in that Perhaps the practices we have today, we're open to learning, aren't the right practices, or we can, you know, adapt and grow. That the, you know, there's not a single
0: Definitely. panacea. So, with all of that out of the way, um, what is the regenerative ag lab? How how does it work? What what is what is it?
1: So it's rooted in, I guess, a broader concept or way of organizing and looking at tricky conversations or tricky questions that we're trying to address. Um, That is what would be called a social innovation lab. So really it's, you know, there's the design element about how we gather, but it really is about who do we need to gather in a room, either a physical room or like us, uh, Zoom rooms. Um, Bringing together, I always say it's kind of like inviting the fuller system in. Um, to really sit with the the question and the complexity almost and the first step is sometimes defining that question and, and sitting with it longer so that we even see the assumptions that we might have or see certain biases and paradigms that maybe we want to explore deeper and shift really with that idea if we want solutions to address complex questions we sometimes have to sit within the complexity and create even a sometimes a complex and tricky set of people in the room who can look at it and challenge each other to then come up with answers solutions initiatives that maybe we would have never come up before because we're starting to look at them with different eyes we're making different connections that weren't there before um, and we it's almost in a way that idea of a laboratory, right? That's where experiments happen and fail as well as succeed. And so creating some safe conditions, hopefully for even a what if type scenario or let's experiment and some of that niche innovation that we wouldn't be able to do alone um, or maybe wouldn't have the resources to do um, individually. But that kind of, if, yeah, I love that it's called the lab because it is almost that self-organizing and, and experimenting and a learning space. So that's kind of the premise it was built on. Um, and then, as you know, Rural Roots had been doing different um, education pieces and that kind of piece, when we start to look at where are we and even how do we build better connections between some of the individuals that were coming to us, but even our broader sense of stakeholders, it was one of those regenerative ag is being talked about more, is being, you know, Um, more on the spotlight, good or bad, Um, how do we then start to gather that community in a way to even, and, and the calling question that we had come up with, which then has evolved, was that idea of how do we accelerate regenerative agriculture to get that widespread adoption in Alberta in a way that creates the profitability, some sustainability of even this, so it's not just another buzzword, and it has that impact, Um, so that it benefits Alberta farmers and communities. So that was kind of what we called people together. Um, I talked about getting the system in the room. One thing that was really important for us as we started it um, is to be rooted in producers. Um, being that even where we want to include the broader system and there's bigger players that when we talk agriculture, but actually really making sure that the producer lens was the first one in the room and was centered in the room. So even now, you know, we'll get to this as we move into phase two, as we start to invite others literally into the room and the conversation because they hold... Are parts of the system, and that's where shifts need to happen. Always want to making sure that we're putting that producer in the center, and that they're the ones putting the practices into place, as well as they're the ones that we want to be profitable for. And oh, that's serve.
0: good. There, do you have anything you'd like to add?
2: Yeah, uh, I guess my perspective on the lab is, uh, so I'm more of a participant actually in the lab than actually part of the, the facilitation team. Like that's more Brenda's job with uh, Matt and Karen, who are two great facilitators working on this. But uh, when I think about the Regen Lab, it's, uh, it's building like the social infrastructure we need to accelerate our regenerative agriculture in Alberta. Uh, the whole idea that we could just leave it up, producers could just take care of it. We'll let them do that. They could just advance regenerative agriculture on their own. Like, I don't think that's entirely fair because we're asking so many things from producers these days. Like we want ecosystem goods and services. We want them to help address climate change. We want nutrient-dense food. We want local food, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And plus, nothing really happens in isolation. Like if you think of the whole no-till movement, obviously producers were big in that, but you had a lot of supportive... Infrastructure there to help them out, whether it was like you know, egg extension groups like Peace Country Beef and Forage Association, scientists, governments, etc., etc. So basically, what the Regen Lab is trying to do is create that infrastructure so we can accelerate or advance regenerative agriculture in Alberta, which makes it really exciting because we're it's it's cutting across different sectors. It's it's not just us in agriculture that that are going to try to move this forward or talking to each other that. We are gonna to have to talk to government for this. We are gonna to have to talk to food and beverage companies, especially like phase two of the lab. We really wanna open up that participation to other, you know, for lack of a better term, just like stakeholders in the agricultural system, which I, I think it's gonna be a really exciting journey in the next
1: two years.
0: For sure. You mentioned that you're moving into phase two. Um, do you mind to talk a little bit about what some of your takeaways from the lab have been so far? Um, as you've as you've asked these questions and and had these conversations with with producers,
1: I think from a content point of view, one of the biggest things, and this is actually how the it's a, a new challenge or a challenge underneath our calling question kind of really emerged as we brought that group together and explored it, was. Especially even in the last 18 months, before, you know, from even when we put together the first proposal to, to when we really kick this off, regenerative agriculture is, feels like it's on that cusp of really taking off, right? We're hearing it talked about um, and even looked critically at in the mainstream agriculture media, at least, but even in financial um, papers at the most recent COP gathering. Um, but what we really heard is then with this growing adoption and interest, How do we move forward that we don't jeopardize that integrity, that we don't dilute the potential of what this has for all those bigger outcomes that we've talked about. So I think that was really, you know, in a way it's like, oh, of course, and was pretty powerful being able to name that, that these are people who are doing it day to day um, at various scales around the province and, and that they don't want To lose that integrity, we want to be making sure that we're we're building a system that keeps that within its DNA as well, not only looking at, I guess, quantitative quantitative type outcomes. Um, I mean, there was a lot of learning of trying to do this um, in the midst of a pandemic in that such a core part of this kind of a work. Derek called it social infrastructure. That means it's rooted in our social connections and our trust with each other, even and so that we can invite in maybe where we disagree in a way that actually is generative rather than degenerative. And so that was a huge challenge of trying to do this through online workshops. Um, and then even by the time we got really rolling, we were hitting into production um, and these are producers and so you know we wanted to be sensitive of their time so it was three hour two to three hour time slots (laughs) spread out over a year and when we accumulated it was like we'd actually spent three days together and so if we think of oh wow really our year project was a three-day workshop but spread out through the year which was beneficial in some ways because then we could think about something go away even look at what was happening in the media and bring that back in but it, it did impact a bit of the momentum feeling and some of that trust building so we're hoping I think of, although you know looks like another curveball might be coming that we can move into more intense face-to-face in the spring before people are out on their land to build that momentum and build that stronger container to then even see it go farther in the second phase related to even initiatives and some collaboration between individuals but even between some of the groups so those were kind of I think the two big lessons or, or you know that I walk away with is the challenge and I you know we faced the challenge and I think we did our best but it hasn't been easy for anybody I think over the last 18 months to try to launch any kind of a project but really that that sincere sense of the integrity and wanting to build, you know, there's there's different research even happening and different, the you know, projects that are really delving into individual practice and measurements, but how do we keep weaving that together into, I would say, a system, into a different kind of a system that has all those different supports and even connects to consumers, connects to financing and that kind of piece.
0: That makes sense. Derek, from the producer's side is there anything you came away with that was different
2: <laughs> yeah i guess uh and another challenge i should mention that the regen lab had like not only was, was it was a covid but then we just had like one of the worst droughts that most people can remember on top of it like the, the mental stress and anxiety that goes along with that for producers is pretty intense and then we're asking them to like put time aside to come talk to us in the regen lab like it, it was definitely a tough. And I really, I'm really grateful for the participants that made it to the end or came back at the end. And as well as like the facilitation team that kept things going. I know like one like, learning for me, and this might be more just for me personally, uh, that I, I found super interesting that it's okay to have pie in the sky conversations sometimes. Like when we first started, it was we were really focused on the question of why, like, why do we think we should accelerate regenerative agriculture? Why is this something for Alberta? And I was biting my nails as that question progressed just because like, okay, we got a group of agriculture producers here. They wanna dive into the how. These are very practical folks with minimal amount of time. If we don't get into the how very quickly, we're gonna to have to have like a full-scale uprising on our hands here that never actually happened. And in fact, by the end of the Regen lab, there were some producers who said they, they appreciated the fact they could have that conversation. And I, I do think it's sad in a way that sometimes producers don't allow themselves to have that pie in the sky conversation. Like frequently, I know it happens when we have a few drinks and we're just going to have a good time. But I think you could also have like, it sounds kind of contradictory, but like a practical pie in the sky, uh, conversation, like, why are we doing these things? And then sometimes, in answering that why somebody told me you're supposed to ask yourself why about five times and then you might be able to get to the how uh and that's a really important learning for me because I, I think even with rural roots our team like we are also really busy trying to get stuff done all the time like how do we do this how do we do that and e- even as an organization we should be asking ourselves well why do we do things like that and as producers i think we also need to ask ourselves from time to time not every you shouldn't question every decision on the farm or ranch but I think it is important and helpful to say, well, why do I do things for like
0: sure? This? Yeah. So, what's, what's the next step? I guess is, is the next question. You're talking about phase two and uh, inviting some more stakeholders and that sort of stuff into the discussion. So, what does that look like?
1: Um, so, yeah, what that looks like is fortunately, we've just secured the funding, so we can talk about that. Um, is, and that's for an 18 month period. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong, Derek. Eighteen months, yeah. Um, and so, really, what that does look like is, you know, January, February um, is extending that invitation out to those who participated in phase one to see if they'd look to consider it um, and continue and continue on. As Derek said, it's not necessarily for everybody. Um, some, you know, because there it is sometimes sitting in those in those uncomfortable gray spaces. Um, and and it's about where where do they want to place their time. Um, as well as looking to to bring in and expand that community, both through producers. And so you know, it's been interesting having even the idea of this lab on our website and not overly we're trying to recruit. I probably have. 10 to 20 people who just heard about it, reached out and went, I would like to be part, or maybe I would like to be part of something like this. Tell me more because they wanna transfer some of that learning onto their farm. And so they're on that cusp piece. Um, As well as then, we did start to surface some initiatives and some possible um, collaborative action through the first lab. We'll wanna test those, are those still the right ones? Based on that that expansion of, uh, I guess I'm coming back to this idea of inviting the system in the room. So who are the people, like Derek said, that are create the infrastructure that allows producers to be producers? Um, so the first phase is kind of an invitational engagement phase um, to then really look at probably having some at least one, depending on how the length of it, but one or two, you know, four workshops um, in that March, April, May uh, phase, more into the March, hopefully, than the May. Um, to really dig in, get us all on board, build some of that trust as well as identify the actions um, that then flow forward kind of from that. So it's kind of, a you know, the the next steps are invitation. Um, If people are interested, they can reach out to us um, and then we'll make sure that they as we've got that materials together in the new year, um, there'll be a new community animator for them to connect with. I'm moving on from the project, Um, but yeah. So we're kind of bringing together that that team that will take it forward. Um, But definitely it's it's an invitation phase for us in the first piece. And then really hopefully digging in with some face to face opportunities to to really launch launch the the next part of the the project
0: forward. All right. So that's the Regenerative Ag Lab. Um, Do you want to talk a little bit about some of these other projects you mentioned?
2: Uh, yeah, sure. So we, we do So like the Regen lab is like called like a flagship project for us. It, it's got the most amount of our funding and it, it's really kind of like blazing a trail. And then the other projects we have going on, some of them support and some of them kind of jump in and jump out. Uh, so the, the sort of like two to four projects we have going on. So we do still have the solar lab. Unfortunately, we haven't been able to secure additional funding for that. Well, the solar lab's always been our project for non-agricultural folks. If producers want to get involved in it, it's fine, but we've noticed like a lot of people that we've been working with in the solar lab, and actually some of them have been in Peace River. Uh, they tend to be folks that aren't directly involved in agriculture, but they still work in rural Alberta. And I think like the organization is rural roots to climate solutions. So if you're in rural Alberta, we want to work with you. Same thing applies with the gonna try this again. Uh six the Kaisatippi okay, so Agriculture Project or the Blackfoot Agriculture Project, like reserves, indigenous people, they're also part of rural Alberta. So we decided that yeah, we need to also create our programming to fit uh certain, I guess, cultural needs or views in these cases, a very specific cultural context there. Um, now we're not like we just happen to be working with the blackfoot it's not like oh no we only work with the blackfoot we're not going to work with anybody else so we're very happy to work with other indigenous groups in alberta and just happen to work out that way through uh, personal connections people that worked for rural roots in the past so we wound up like diving in to the blackfoot confederacy uh the individual leading that project whose name is lance Tailfeathers. uh he's from kainai or blood tribe first nation and that project We're still like in a bit of an exploratory phase there. Uh, He's actually recording some podcasts we're pretty excited about. Uh, There definitely is an agricultural focus there, but it's also, uh, I guess you could also say like a broader land stewardship focus as well. So maybe not everything that gets on to that specific podcast is going to be about agriculture, but it might be about how do we preserve like native grasslands or how do we uh, regenerate some of those native grasslands on top of that. So that's been a really fun project. Uh, Lance has been making a lot of headway there. So that in the future, uh, I don't know. Sky's the limit. I don't really have uh, an idea. I, ho- I hope it's something we can keep going because I-, I do really feel like when it comes to truth and reconciliation or being a good treaty partner, like these doors do open up for us occasionally, and it- it's really for us as like non-Indigenous folks we got to make that decision if we're going to step through or not. And I'd say for rural roots, the door really just kind of just swung right open for us here. And it was terrifying at first. I I was scared the first time I had to go down there to to do a presentation because I was like, I'm going to screw this up because I got zero training on how to be a treaty partner here. But it's it's a time to be bold and you got to take those chances and you will screw things up. I have made some very embarrassing mistakes uh, when it comes to engaging some of the indigenous individuals or groups you've been working with. Some of them I do not care to repeat, uh, but these things are going to happen. Um, so the that project we hopefully keep going. Uh, we also have a project that's specific to the four counties that are around Edmonton. Uh, it's mainly around webinars. And we're just basically looking at the different, um, <laughs> land management practices or farm tech that are good for the farm, good for the climate. So we'll be doing that. Uh, there'll also be a podcast series to go with that. Uh, one new project for us is we got some funding from ARDAR to do a podcast on drought specifically how to, I guess, deal with drought or weather drought uh, if you're a cow CalCAP operator. So I'll be spending the next few months reaching out to different folks in academia, in the agriculture community, in Ag extension, just to get some of those lessons learned from the last drought. I, I know last year was a really hard year for a lot of folks, um, but there there were some people that were like, you know, really surprised like crap. Cause I kept this riparian area intact. In this was super, this was like a savings account for me when the drought came along. And I think we do need to get a lot of those stories out there. Cause there's so many amazing stories out there, Alberta. Uh, and we just, I don't know. We just don't hear about it too much. And I think like what PCBFA, one <laughs> of these days I'm going to get that acronym right. Uh, what you guys do with your podcast is great. Uh, when Gateway Research Organization does with theirs, and even the Tutor own horn rule groups, like getting those, those stories that are celebrating what's happening in the community in Alberta and very unique to the Alberta context, getting them out there is just super important. It just, it, it keeps folks going. So, so yeah, those would be, I may have missed the project in there, but I'm pretty sure Absolutely. those are the ones we're working on at the moment. Uh, knowing us, because we, we do like to be responsive to community needs. So if we're doing something like, eh, doesn't quite work for the community in the way we thought, then we try and pivot really quickly. So we can do something that is very practical for the rural community. Because honestly, like, we're here to provide tools for people to use to either make their lives easier or improve certain aspects of the farmer ranch or the community. And if we're not being a useful tool, uh, we're, we're doing something wrong. We have to reflect on what we're doing and
1: try and make a change.
0: Awesome. Um, is there anything else we want to talk about before we start to to wind up? We didn't explicitly talk about kind of
1: the name, "Rural Roots to Climate Solutions." No, I guess yeah, we didn't really explain
2: what with the name. Um...
0: Oh, I was I was going to ask you about the name too. <laughs> I <laughs> forgot. So yeah, why why did you go with "Rural Roots to Climate Solutions" as a name?
2: So I'll take the first kick at the can and maybe Brenda can jump in afterwards. Um, So first of all, I've tried to get the name changed twice already because it is a very long name. Uh, But uh, the the team and the advisors actually like, no, no, we have to own this. This is our name and we stick with it. And I definitely, I I see value in that opinion and where that perspective comes from. Uh, Initially, the idea with World Research Climate Solutions was like, listen, a lot of, or at least at the time and so we're talking about five years ago a a lot of the conversation around climate change and climate solutions it felt like it was more for people in urban centers uh just like some of the solutions that were put out there were like i don't know if that would really work in a rural context and unfortunately i can't think of an example off the top of my head right now uh but yeah there's certain things that just might not work or and then from our perspective like okay if something addresses climate change that's great but we want a climate solution that also has additional benefits for rural communities so it can't just you know we don't want just to just knock out one thing we wanted to knock out multiple things in the process and that's always been our approach with this to focus on those additional benefits that go along with the climate solution so we're like okay but the, the rural community needs something or, or at least the conversation they feel like they can be a part of and especially at that time when you know, people weren't really talking about regenerative agriculture or agriculture climate solutions, except for the people that are actually practicing those things. Whereas now I'd feel the general public is slowly getting their head around it. Like I feel at the time it was more get rid of all the cows because they're farting and burping too much and there's too much methane and then we'll just solve all our problems. Well, it's going to cause a bunch of other problems. So at the time, I'm like, okay, we only hear about bad things that agriculture is doing in relation to the environment. And there are some bad things out there. It's important to recognize that. I can't say like agriculture is just like a perfect environment or land stewardship right now. We're going to get there one day, I hope. But uh, there are also some great things that agriculture can do for climate change, for biodiversity, for just people in general. And we just felt those stories really weren't getting out there. So it was really important for us, not just to tell those stories, but also like Literally take people to those places where that's happening. So those field days, those workshops, ah, uh, that was big for us. So, yeah, we, I, I guess for us the rural roots, like we wanted to find those rural pathways to implementing climate solutions. Did anything else to add there, Brenda? Well,
1: and I think there was a big element about meaning that there are people out in rural Alberta that acknowledge that we are on a challenging time now with our climate which is going to impact our weather which is going to impact all our lives daily um and five years ago we weren't living it maybe the same way we have in the last year with the drought and then also what we're seeing in BC, but also that there were people out here there there, I was out there, uh, my husband's out there and we're quite isolated. And so by naming explicitly that this was going to be, it was a community exercise too, about come out to a field day that is probably centered around practices, but you might find other people to have some common conversations with. So you don't feel so alone. you don't feel so isolated. And when we've recently done some, uh, some evaluation of the activities, that was really, I think, fed back to us too, about the impact that of, meeting others, of even hearing that others are out there, even if you don't get to meet them face-to-face, encourages you during those harder moments, encourages you not only from a content point of view, oh, I could try this, but a I'm not alone, I'm not as crazy as perhaps everyone wants to think I am or that I think I am. So it was a community building exercise as much knowing that learning happens in community and implementation happens in community a lot stronger, Um, especially if we want to move into that acceleration and amplifying piece that there's going to be the people who have their resources, the initiative, the insanity to act alone. And, and how do we amplify what they've learned and done and bring that to a bigger community who is looking for it? Like I said, I have people reaching out to me saying, we want to try to do this on our farm. How do we learn? What resources do you have um, when, you know, and so how do we support that and build, you know, the community, the social infrastructure? around the practices, around the knowledge that is there um, in a way that's positive, right? So I think that's also what's been really appealing is saying there are rural roots, there are things happening and really good stories out there. And by telling and amplifying those good stories and connecting people through them, we're we're making an impact, we're seeing, seeing change. So it was never established to try to be a debate organization. It probably rubbed some people the wrong way, and that's okay, too. Um, They have a different journey. Um, But we wanted to really, I think, be a bit provocative and bold and name a space that wasn't comfortable for a lot of other organizations to go.
2: Just to pick up what Brenda mentioned, that that community piece, I think that's really been key for us, and I think that also it also helps make rural roots a very uniquely albertan project too uh just because like as a person who didn't grow up here like the the sense of community out here it's can can be overwhelming sometimes but like there's really tight and i grew up in a small town but i definitely did not feel that same sense of community out there that i do out here and i think also like since community is so important out here it's it's recognizing that we need social diversity as much as we need biodiversity too so we're not all going to have the same opinion and the, the approach we've taken to engage in the climate solutions. Like we're, we're not just like sliding off the oil and gas sector the entire time. Like this is, this is like our friends and family work in that sector and stuff like that, that it, people recognize that it's had value and has value. Um, but the Albertans you know, are multiple different things that, 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 that's one type of a burden, but then you have regenerative agriculture producers or, I don't know what the hell I am again. A barely far, barely skilled farm slash hipster Albert. And like it, there, there's a diversity. Like that social diversity is so important for thriving communities. At least, at least in my opinion too. So that's why, like, I, I like our approach in the sense that like we're about to building community, empowering communities, and making them stronger. And if you believe in that. You don't even have to believe in climate change. If you think it's some crazy idea that somebody else made up, that's fine. But if you believe in the power of community to do great things and you want to see that in the future, it's somebody we can work with.
0: Definitely. I guess. Are there any other websites or resources that you guys would like to mention before we before we sign off? I know we've mentioned a couple, and those will be in the description. But is there anything else you'd like to mention? I tell people to go to their local forage organization
1: because they're also where you can find people near you. So. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but I, I think that's like that. That's a good point because like, even like with rural roots, like we're still like the information we provide is for an Alberta context, but like what your forage association is going to do here is so localized, like, I don't know, in my opinion, that information is gold. Like that's mm-hmm. definitely a place we want to hit up for sure. But if we're going to plug ourselves. Uh, so to find more information about uh, agricultural solutions or climate solutions, sorry, that Uh, fit for the rural Alberta context, Uh, I recommend going to our website, which is www.rr2cs.ca. Different resources on the website. The the two main ones you're probably going to look at is the farmer's blog, which um, we don't always jump into the nitty gritty of land management practices and farm tech. Like sometimes we are talking about those kind of pie in the sky stories, but they're nice to hear sometimes. Uh, And then the farmer's blog is a really great resource for... um, highlighting the success stories that we have in the province. And yeah. another option, I suppose, is also our YouTube channel. Our YouTube channel is usually where our webinar recordings, that's where they live until YouTube is no longer a thing, I suppose. Uh, but that's another resource you could access.
1: Well, and then, like, if you, to me, the go-to is always the Sabre Institute and the Land Institute in Rodale, right? Like, or Acres, which, because Acres as a community brings usually those three together. But in Alberta, it's still quite piecemeal, right?
0: True enough. Oh, that's a good start, though. <laughs> At least people can start with that, and then from there, there's lots, lots more information you can you can hunt up. So, thank you guys both for coming on. I appreciate it. And oh, thanks uh, yeah. for the
2: opportunity. We don't usually we're telling other people's stories, not our own, so it's kind of nice, nice to be heard. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Peace Country Beef and Forage Association is a research and extension group based out of Fairview, Alberta. Our mission is to help producers thrive in an agricultural system that is profitable, regenerative, and attractive to future generations. To learn more about what we do and see the results of our research trials or our archive of newsletters and fact sheets, check out our website at peacecountrybeef.ca. Want to get in touch? Have a burning question or a topic suggestion? Send us a message on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Thanks for listening!